Hello and welcome to the Almost LA Podcast. My name is Aiden. And my name is Audra. Alright, so I'm still home. Yesterday I recorded, <laughs> what, what did you call the episode? Part one of what? Topanga Canyon. Topanga Canyon. Enter the snake pit. I think Today's going to be the snake part pit. two we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about uh, Dennis Wilson and Charles Manson meeting and their beautiful friendship um, turned disaster. Mm-hmm. Does that sound exciting? It does sound exciting. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. And thank you to our listener who pointed out that we were talking about Randy Newman yesterday. Mm-hmm. I love LA. Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to start off by reading a an article from the Record Mirror um, dated December 21st, 1968. And the uh, reporter interviewing Dennis Wilson's name is David Griffiths and when you kind of google you know do a quick google search about you know Dennis Wilson I always want to say Dennis Miller which is so weird Dennis Wilson and Charles Manson you'll see like articles like oh they're they're fateful summer or the summer I spent with blah 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 or um and you'll hear kind of this little blurb that they hung out over the summer or something okay in like 1968 and then you'll hear that like he picked up a hitchhike couple hitchhikers and he either went back to his house and then charles manson showed up or he picked up a couple hitchhikers and they took him to charlie's like their place the The one that i heard the story that i heard was that he saw them on the site like hitchhikers on two girls hitchhiking or something Mm -hmm. by malibu i guess Mm -hmm. and then he saw them again and then he decided to pick them up Right. And bring him back to his house. And then Charles Manson came over. Okay. So in this uh, Record Mirror article, um, which is in December, you'll we're going to get this from Dennis Wilson's own words. Um, and the title of this uh, little blurb in here is Dennis Wilson. You like blurb. Blurb. Quote, I live with 17 girls. Okay. Uh, and then, um, and I think this is the only on record thing that he kind of says about it which is interesting because he obviously wasn't with them just for the summer i think that he was actually with them for about a year um so they go on to talk about some stuff and kind of at the end of this um, article they talk about uh how he got really into the transcendental meditation you know when we talked yesterday on the other episode about uh the maharishi that he was spending time with and then um he says quote i still believe in meditation and i'm not experimenting with tribal living which I'm not really sure what that is, but it says, I live in the woods in California uh, near Death Valley with 17 girls. They're space ladies, and they'd make a great group. I'm thinking of launching them as the Family Gems. Then the reporter asks, how did you come to meet up with no less than 17 girls? Dennis says, quote, it happened strangely. I went up to the mountains with my houseboy to take an LSD trip. We met two girls hitchhiking, one of them was pregnant. We gave them a, a lift, and a purse was left in the car. About a month later, near Malibu, I saw the pregnant girl again, only this time she'd had her baby. I was overjoyed for her, and it was through her that I met all these other girls. I told them about our involvement with the Maharishi, and that they told me they had two headed guru, a guy named Charlie, who'd recently come out of jail after 12 years. His mother was a hooker, his father was a gangster. He drifted into crime, but when I'd met him, I found he had a great 
he had great musical ideas. We're writing together now. He's dumb in some ways, but I accept his approach and have learned from him. He taught me a dance, the inhibition. You have to imagine you're a frozen man and the ice is thawing you out. Start with your fingertips, then all the rest of you, then you extend it to a feeling that the whole universe is thawing you out. And then he says, the reporter says, are you supporting all these people? And he says, no, quote, no. If anything, they're supporting me. I had all the rich status symbols, Rolls Royce, Ferrari, home after home. Then I woke up, gave away 50 to 6% of all my money. Now I live in one small room with one candle and I'm happy finding myself, end quote. Okay. <laughs> so this dude's crazy. <laughs> this dude's clearly crazy. He gave away his Ferraris and his Rolls. Bad move on his So part. if that has anybody had a question about what had gone on there, there you go. I think LSD, a Maharishi, and uh, a cult is at play there. So there you go. So let's go back to Dennis and Charlie, his best friend at the time, and his chicks. You know, Dennis, obviously, I think he had he'd come off a divorce. Remember, Brian's in, the, in bed chilling because he's dealing with his mental illness. And there's a lot of responsibility on Dennis to kind of keep the band together. He went through, I think, his third divorce at this point this is in the 60s or the 70s this is in 68 by 68 when he met wow um yeah so brian was already going through yes his mental stuff yeah that happened in like 67 but it wasn't until like the 80s and when he got like captured or whatever by this manager guy right because um, that went on later yeah in the 70s and 80s yeah i think so okay okay yeah, I mean, he had issues from the get-go i guess yeah. but that's when you you know schizophrenia kind of takes a hold of you um but that's a whole other episode. So Dennis, you know, trying to get Charlie into this whole music thing with him and them recording stuff and working on stuff and obviously writing stuff. And clearly Dennis was out, you know, when he says he lives in the forest in Death Valley, I think there's, I think he's discussing two different places, Spawn Ranch, um, which is, so what you might not know is Charles Manson had numerous different kind of like houses that he took over or, you know, places that he kind of kept the family. You know, they lived in this bus for a while, then they'd kind of like crash somewhere. And um, by like the end of 68, at some point, they're up in like Spawn Ranch, uh, which was kind of a, it's about 30 miles straight north <clears throat> of Topanga Canyon. If you, There's a, a Highway 27 goes from Topanga Canyon straight up to like 118, where Simi Valley is, and Spawn Ranch is right there. Yeah. And then the Death Valley place was Barker Ranch, which they were also kind of back and forth at. And that was out in Death Valley. <clears throat> so the forest part, I think, I'm thinking he is, because as we know, we've been to Death Valley. There's not really, well, there is kind of a forest there. So maybe that's what he's talking about. But either way, they were kind of in both different places at the time. Um, so Dennis decides to introduce Charlie to Terry Melcher, who was a huge music producer back then in the 60s. And he is the son of Doris Day, who uh, was a famous actress at the time. Um Melcher produced the two first albums of the birds and he actually sang backup on the vocals on pet sounds backup vocals on pet sounds um, for a time Melcher was interested in recording Manson's music um, as well as making a documentary about the family and their hippie co commune existence and Manson actually met Melcher at the um, 150 Celio Drive 
address where the future part of the future Manson murders would take place because that is where Terry Melcher lived um, when they met and he was living there with his actress girlfriend Candace Bergen um, of Murphy Brown fame but back then she was a model and actress um, Manson eventually auditioned for Melcher um, at Spawn Ranch Melcher came out there with some recording um, instruments and on May 18th 1969 um, but Melcher ended up not recording him and eventually declined to sign him. It sounded like it was kind of a mess. But he agreed to keep making this documentary, supposedly, or at least financing it. Um, so he went out to the ranch again at some point and then completely abandoned the project in, in Manson because when he was out there um, at another, the other time, Manson got into a fight um, with a, a stunt guy who actually worked at uh, Spawn Ranch named Donald Shea. Shea was married to a black woman at the time named Magdalena. Um, and of course, Manson did not like black people, hated black people. And, and I'm not sure you know, but his whole helter skelter plan with these murders, which it was to incite a race riot. Like that was his, their cult plan basically was. Yeah, I didn't know that. He, they were, they're considered a doomsday cult and doomsday cults plan for the end of the world kind of and then an uprising kind of thing so his their plan was through helter skelter this is a what's brief, that mean i know the song by the beatles well it was from the song helter skelter helter skelter ended up becoming their term for like we're starting a race riot okay. um and that was all from the white album they they took all these songs and lyrics out of the white album and thought that the beatles were speaking to them and telling them to start this race white riot you know you know white album the whites should take it, you know, oh, right. it was all, and you can read into all kinds of stuff and anybody can go online and find out, you know, certain parts of the album that they were assuming, like he's speaking directly to us. This is what he wants us to do. You know, it's just cuckoo stuff. So that was their goal, you know, was to eventually incite this race, right? And then their the family was going to hide. And then when everybody killed each other off, they were going to rise up as the only white people left and like repopulate the world. That was their genius plan. So, Clearly, him being married to a black woman was not kosher, you know, but um, Shay worked for the people that owned the ranch, not um, not Manson, because the Manson family was kind of renting and, and staying there temporarily. Um, so they kind of get in tussles here and there. Um, Shay was actually murdered by the Manson family on September 26, 1969. This is about a month and a half, month almost two months after the Tate LaBianca murders, which are the big Manson murders everybody talks about. Um, but before they actually got arrested in October. So after, so nobody knew when they got arrested in October that it was actually the Mansons that, you know, the family that had committed all these crimes. It wasn't attributed to them until after they were all arrested. They actually got arrested because the FBI raided their ranch because they had been um, vandalizing national parks and like stealing and somebody had called them in and then when they got to the ranch they realized by whatever they were finding they're like oh crap these are the people that have been murdering everybody in LA yeah okay so in between the murders and their arrest they murdered uh, Donald Shea uh, but unfortunately his body wasn't discovered until 1977 so if you think about the time frame here, I'm going to kind of try to set up this time frame where I think why Dennis Wilson was kind of like involved still. It wasn't just a summer thing in 68. You know, clearly if they had been out to the ranch in May of 69, uh, Melcher and Dennis, 
uh, you know, this is a full year after their springtime kind of meeting of these hitchhikers, which is kind of where everybody puts the hitchhiker situation it was in kind of like the spring of 68. Um, so not long after Melcher had kind of blown off Manson, um, Manson started threatening Melcher uh, because that's how he dealt with rejection was he just started threatening people. And that's why he people were kind of suspicious of him and kind of pulled away from him because he would get threatening and violent and pull knives on people. So Melcher and Bergen actually moved out of that Celio Drive home, and um, the owner of the house ended up leasing it to director Roman Polanski and his wife, huh. actress Sharon Tate. That's weird. Yeah. So Sharon Tate, who was murdered, and she was eight months pregnant, she was married to Roman Polanski, who went on to leave the country, live abroad in exile, his self-exile, basically, because he would get arrested if he came back to the States because he raped a 13-year-old girl. Okay. So, <laughs> fun times. Good job, Roman. <laughs> yeah. So don't go see his movies. Yeah. Um, Manson was reported to have visited the house on more than one occasion asking for Melcher after he'd moved out um, because he was basically threatening him and trying to find him or, you know, just being a douche. Um, and he was told that Melcher had moved. So that's important to keep in mind because um, some people speculate that he – the murders happened because he assumed Terry Melcher was still living there and that Manson was trying to murder Melcher. Mm. Um, but it was very well documented that and Manson acknowledged that, yeah, I knew he moved. I was just trying to send a message basically um, kind of thing, or the, the family said that they were trying to send a message. Um, so on February 10th, 1969. So kind of before they had gone to spawn ranch and everything um, and had the altercations with Donald Shea and stuff. Um, the Beach Boys 20th album was released and then it was called 2020 and on that album um, the Beach Boys put out a song called Never Learn Not to Love and it was a, it was given writing credit solely to Dennis Wilson and later um, the Beach Boys specifically Mike Love said he was unaware that Charles Manson actually wrote the song and Dennis kind of ripped it off and changed the title and changed some of the lyrics um, but Manson clearly found out about this and was very upset and he threatened to kidnap Dennis's son and also left a bullet in Wilson's bed as a threat definitely not cool no so we are going to play Manson's original version cease to exist and then right after and then right after Aiden's going to play uh, never learn not to love which is quite honestly the worst title ever of anything it's hard, <laughs> it's too to, hard say. to say <laughs> <laughs> it is um and this album that Manson um has out called lie it's on iTunes um keep in mind he's dead so I'm not hopefully supporting anybody by playing this um but it came out in 1970 after he'd been in prison and I'm not sure who gets the monies from this or whatever but this is his song, Cease to Exist. Pretty girl. Pretty, pretty girl. Cease to exist. Just come and say you love me. I'm your kind 
Okay. Now I am never listening to that song ever again. <laughs> All right. That's Cease to Exist. And then here we have. Which is a creepy title as well. Never Learn Not to Love. And here's Never Learn Not to Love. Long intro. <laughs> They're hoping Manson passed out before you listen to the rest of it. Oh my god, that seems. Okay, so clearly complete ripoff of Manson's song. Yes. It's weird. You can hear similarities. Manson's is more like psychedelic and bluesy. And he does certain, like I was I was telling you yesterday, he does certain guitar things. In his, if you listen to the whole song, that the Beach Boys completely recreate in the, record, in the recording, but they use like weird worldly instruments right. instead of the guitar. But it's the same exact sound. Right. And these buildups and stuff that happen in the songs are exactly the same. And a lot of the lyrics are exactly the same as well. So it's very weird. Yeah, it is weird. And I, they, they changed to cease to resist, you know. Is that what they, the first line yeah, is? Yeah, he says cease, uh. cease to resist instead of cease to exist. And that pissed off. That's like one of the main things that um, pissed him off. Okay. Um, so we're going to jump to July 1st, 1969. Tex Watson uh, planned to rob L.A. drug dealer Bernard Lots of Papa Crow, which is <laughs> the best nickname ever. <laughs> Lots of Papa? Lots of Papa. Okay. Um, basically to please Charlie. They needed money. They were always needing money. So, you know, as you realize from or remember from Charlie's childhood, he was a thief first right. and foremost kind of. Um, and they were running out of money um, and they needed it. So he it's kind of a long story short but they needed the drug dealer that they had was had mafia ties and they would only sell them up to so many um, amount of drugs and they wanted a larger amount of drugs and they didn't have the money for it so they were going to borrow money from from uh lots of papa and you know get money and then get a larger amount of drugs but the the his plan was to not actually get the drugs but to take the large amount of money from lots of papa and take off um, now, Tex Watson, if you're unsure of who he is, um, he was involved in every murder that happened. He was so some of the women were there for some and not others. It was kind of a mix of people. Sometimes there was a couple of girls that were there for everything. But Tex was the one main guy that was always there. Um, and he was from Texas, hence Tex. He was an honor roll student and on the football team. Supposedly, he was made out to be this kind of like all American guy before he Ended up in L.A. to visit a friend, got into psychedelic drugs, and then met the girls of the Manson family and then decided to join the group and then obviously went to be on to become a total piece of shit. Um, so Tex brought his uh, girlfriend to 
uh, with him to go on this robbery because she knew a different drug dealer to go to. So there was this, all these kind of people in the mix. And f- to have collateral, you know, so Tex wouldn't run off with his, his money, Bernard Latsapapa kept his girlfriend, um, I think her name is Luella, with him and these two bodyguards he brought with him because he's not stupid. He's like, this idiot's going to take off my money. But what Tex did was he like went into the house to go get some stuff and then went out the back door. And he basically was like, I did not care what they did with Luella. I would like left her for all I cared. They could murder her, whatever they want to do with her. Didn't care. He's like, all that was important to me was that I was going to get my money to Charlie. And that, that is what was it. So Bernard ends up calling Manson at Spawn Ranch and starts you know, is threatening him. He's like, you owe me money and I'm going to bring everybody I know out there and just tear your place apart and kill everybody. And Charlie decided to get to Bernard first. So he took another member of the family with him. His name was TJ and they found Bernard somewhere. And the plan was to shoot and kill Charlie or I'm sorry, shoot and kill Bernard. And TJ was supposed to do it, but he chickened out. So Charlie shot Bernard um, and took off. Charlie thought he killed him, but he didn't. And he actually didn't know that until Bernard showed up at court during the Manson trial to testify against him, which I would have loved to have seen Manson's face when this drama big black like drug dealer came in and was like, F you, you didn't kill me, idiot. Um. So now I'm telling you all this because Mike Love in his his autobiography, Good Vibrations, said that shortly before the Tate LaBianca murders, Dennis showed up at Mike's uh, studio at his house and he was very shaken up and he wanted to kind of hide out. He was like freaking out. And Mike's account was that Dennis said, quote, I just saw Charlie take his M16 and blow this black cat in half and stuff him down the well. I think I read quote. about this story. Hmm? I think I read a little bit about this. Yeah. Story. So. The gun Manson actually used was uh, a 22 to shoot Bernard, and that 22 went on to be used in the future murders, so they knew that was the gun. It wasn't an M16. So a, a prosecutor that worked on the case when they all got busted said that this story was not true, you know, that he, Charlie never killed a black guy. Well, he didn't, he didn't kill a black guy, but he was saying, like, Dennis Wilson must have been on drugs. He must have, been, he must have made it all up in his mind, which clearly he didn't, so... My thinking is Dennis was either at Spawn Ranch or, or, or was there or something with the family um, when this happened and heard about it, because how would he have known about it? So he was either, I don't think he was with Charlie when he went and shot this drug dealer, but he was clearly with the girls or with all the people, you know, when the hubbub of like, we're going to go get this guy, you know, we're going to take off, we're going to go shoot this guy, blah, blah, blah. And then, or was there when they came back and said, we just shoot and killed this guy. So, and this, and my point is, this is in, um, on July 1st, 1969, that this happened. Um, and, and also when Dennis went and told Mike about it and which is a month before all the murders happened. Yeah. So now we're clearly way into a year of him being with the family. So he never said he was really in the cult. He clearly was in the cult. Yep. I don't think you can really deny that. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's, it's obviously... On the, which yeah. is crazy yeah so then on thursday july 31st 1969 the first kind of known manson murder um happened to a musician gary hinman who was a friend of the manson family and he was actually uh 
he supplied them with drugs. He was actually actually kind of an amateur dr- uh, chemist, so he was making drugs in his house. And he would let the Manson family stay there at his house from time to time. And he lived in Topanga Canyon. Um, he was found mutilated uh, and dead. And um, they had written the words political piggy uh, in Gary's blood on the wall. And that was their attempt to start this kind of race riot by invoking, you know, um, hatred, you know, with the police and stuff like that. They actually, upon Charlie's request, Charlie told them to go murder him and they actually tortured him for about three days a couple days before three days yeah and charlie showed up at one point unhappy that they hadn't murdered him yet because they were trying to get money and information out of him and charlie actually was the one he like sliced his ear with a machete or something as um jesus and then he left again and then they ended up uh and then he ended up dying um and then on july sorry on august 9th 1969 uh, the house that was the site of the murders of tate uh, who was eight months pregnant at the time, coffee heiress Abigail Folger, uh, Folger Coffee, hairdresser Jay Sebring, uh, writer Wojciech uh, Frykowski, and Stephen Parent uh, were murdered uh, by the Manson family. Um, I had mentioned before, some theorized that the Celia Drive house was targeted by Manson as revenge for Melcher's rejection and that Manson was unaware that he and Bergen had moved out. But as we said before, they clearly knew he had. Um, and text uh, uh, Watson stated that they knew that they were no longer living there. Um, so then... Um, there's sorry there's a whole long thing we kind of already talked about blah 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 so then the next night um were the la bianca murders um or did i get that backwards on the eighth oh sorry yeah so the on the eighth sorry i totally scratched that go back on the eighth the la bianca murders happened they were murdered um in i think their house was in beverly hills and then the celia drive happened on the next night so there's two nights in a row where everybody was wiped out there's like nine people total died or whatever um, and you can go research all that out and, and look at that. Those are the most famous um, Manson murders where everybody got busted and in trouble. So, and then, of course, as we said before, and then they killed um, the stunt man, and then they got busted in, in October. And I think at that point, Wilson had hopefully left. I would assume he had left in July after he heard about the murder. Maybe he wised up after that. But he didn't get off that easy. Um, it's very well documented that at some point when they were all living together that the family members all got gonorrhea, including Wilson, and that he had to bring like 20-something odd people to the doctor to get antibiotics and stuff, and it ended up being like an over $1,000 doctor bill. Um, they trashed a couple of his cars. Uh, they trashed his house. He actually ended up moving out of the house at one point um, and going to live with his producer because they had just overrun and he couldn't be there anymore. Um, and then they kind of moved on to a different place, but they estimate that the damages and everything that they, and him paying for their food and lodging and everything, he lost up to probably over a hundred, hundred thousand dollars. Um, but in that article, he was like, Oh, I gave away my, but it just sounds like they kind of took over, took advantage. Yeah. You know, they, they were just leeches is what they were, you know, basically. So, Dennis, for his part, after this whole thing happened, he continued to write for the Beach Boys. Um, 
three songs that he wrote was on the album Sunflower that came out in 1971. He started a movie um, about street racing, which is what he loved, called Two Lane Blacktop. Um, he co-wrote the song You Are So Beautiful with Billy Preston in 1974 and began closing his shows with that song. Um, I'm going to play you a version of that by uh, Joe Cocker um, because I can't really find a version. You can find it online, um, Dennis Wilson singing it on like YouTube and stuff. But here is, I didn't even know he wrote this song. pretty taylor hawking uh, hawkins Hawkins, when he was in that documentary about dennis wilson he was like that is so clearly like a dennis wilson song because it's so simple you know because his writing style was so simple yeah yeah so it's like it was interesting to hear that his take on that and how he could kind of hear dennis in that song which is kind of cool um so dennis a little bit about him and kind of his troubled life after this whole mess he never talked about the Manson stuff again, and he basically said, I'm taking that to my own grave. Um, and he, a lot of people around him said that he felt responsible because he should have, you know, he introduced him to Terry Melcher. He, you know, that's where the murders happened was his old house, you know, blah, 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 blah. He wrapped up in it. He did get wrapped up in it, but, you know, as uh, you couldn't have predicted that that's what was going to happen. I mean, clearly things got more and more violent and ramped up as you know 1969 went on and then with the murders you know some say that that was basically the nail in the coffin um of the hippie movement of like the lovey hippie dippy movement because you know with all the all the protesting and uh the assassinations of you know martin luther king and you know and then this whole manson murder thing it was just um everything kind of took a turn in in the 70s in a different way and music was different and you know it's just kind of the end of an era so to speak so dennis wilson who we mentioned in the last episode loved the ocean he bought a hundred and twenty five thousand dollar boat called the harmony which he kept at marina del rey and he loved that boat and was always on it and he wrote a his first solo album that came out in 1977 called pacific ocean blue um, and a lot of the musical influence uh, on that is from his relationship with his wife, Karen Lamb. She's the one that he married and divorced twice. They had a really volatile kind of relationship. A lot of like drugs, alcohol, um, they were arrested off and on for, you know, abuse and threatening violence and all this kind of crap. Um, the the Beach Boys had a, a really famous studio throughout their time called the Brothers Studio which was Dennis's safe haven throughout most of his life where he would just kind of run to. Um, that's actually where he w- was supposedly um, 
you know, when he met the Manson family, you know, after he brought the hitchhikers home at one, one version of that story was he went off to the studio and when he came back, you know, it was, the house was overrun. Um, they lost that studio because of financial reasons. Um, and his boat ended up getting repossessed and he kind of went down South after that. Literally, he actually went back to Manhattan beach down South, but he also started drinking a lot, doing heroin, cocaine, there's a cl- very sad clip on Good Morning America, um, December 3rd, 1980, where he can't even sit up. The, the, all the Beach Boys are sitting on this couch, and they're trying to be interviewed, by, and he can't even sit up. He's, like, leaning up against Carl. He's, like, flopping around, and, and you can visibly see the anger coming off of, like, Mike Love. He's, like, so mad, and they're all uncomfortable, and it's just really hard to watch. Um. Then he met uh, a woman named Sean Love, who is widely believed to be Mike's Lo- Mike Love's illegitimate daughter. Um, they, Dennis denied that, you know, she was any relation to him, but it's pretty well known now that she's Mike Love's daughter. Um, he married her and they had a baby right away. And at that point, they were pretty nomadic. And they were living. So he at- married his cousin's daughter. Yeah. And that's kind of why Mike stopped talking to everybody. And well, also, I'm pretty sure Mike Love isn't not a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he has, he might not be not nice as a guy, but he might have some reasons to kind of well, yeah. try to keep his legacy alive when all this other weird crap was going on. You know, you can't really that, blame him sometimes. All I'm saying is if you go to see, if you want to go see the Beach Boys live, don't go see the Beach Boys, go see Brian Wilson. Yeah. That's true. There is a, a div- there's a little beef there. The, yes, Mike owns the Beach Boy name and, and yeah. tours with other guys as the Beach Boys, and then yeah. Brian Wilson's on his own. And Brian Wilson is way cooler. And I think and Brian, I think I've read some stuff that he'd like to reconcile with Mike Love, but Probably. I just think there's there's a lot that's gone on there. So and, you know, they're all family, and there's problems. Obviously, they probably won't ever reconcile. Oh, sure. that'd be sad because I don't think you know it's, they're they're kind of getting up there. They're gonna. They're going to get it together. They might as well do it now. Mm, I doubt it. Um, So they lived in a hotel called Santa Monica Bay Inn. And there was a bar across the street called Shays Jays. That's a mouthful. And that's where basically Dennis at that point was drinking all day long, um, every day, because he was a full-blown alcoholic at that point. Um, On July 4th, 1983... Uh, he sang with the Beach Boys, um, and it was his last performance with them, sadly. And he, he finished the show singing You Are So Beautiful, mm-hmm. and you can see it on YouTube. His He looks drastically different um, than his beautiful California surfer, you know, persona that he had before. And his voice is completely shot, and his voice, you can't even he's really struggling to kind of get out any kind of sound. It's very gravelly and everything. Um, and he went down back down to Manhattan beach to watch surfers a lot back then. And he was spiraling and basically homeless and nomadic. And some of his friends who had kind of sadly, it sounds like they had tried their best to get him in and out of rehab. And he had been to rehab and, kind of checked himself into a few places here and there, um, didn't seem to work. And a lot of them felt like he didn't want help and they just kind of had given up or 
don't want to say given up, but I think that it was just like, there was nothing they could do, you know? So it was just like, what are you going to do? You know? And one of his friends ran into him somewhere in LA. I can't remember where, but he was like, I, he didn't recognize him. He thought it was a homeless dude coming up to harass him. And he was starting to get kind of like whatever. And he's like, Hey man, it's Dennis, man. And he's like, I had, he wasn't even the same guy. Um, so the last couple of days of his life, um, it sounds like he had gotten into a fight somewhere and had checked himself into a hospital to kind of get stitched up or something had happened. Um, and then he had, he was drinking, um, uh, you know, like round the clock basically, and then showed up at some rehab and they actually turned him away, um, and told him to leave and in which is upsetting and then he was partying on a boat called the emerald um at marina del rey which was uh, it sounds like from uh this biography i was watching of him <clears throat> sorry that he it was next to the 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 empty slip of where his old boat used to be so his old boat the harmony was gone and like the emerald was like next to it or something or either he was parting it in that general area but he had gone to where the harmony used to be docked and he was diving into the empty slip in the marina down to the ocean and picking up stuff off the the floor of the ocean to find things that he used to throw off his boat so apparently he used to just like find crap on his boat and throw it overboard or whatever basically littering um but he was being very nostalgic and trying to find stuff that he had lost off his boat in that old boat slip. Um, and unfortunately they think what happened was he either blacked out or hit his head and blacked out and he drowned. And, um, his friend on the documentary who was getting like super choked up, it was sad, said that they actually found him in, it took him an hour for the coast guard to find him. I guess. Um, but when they did find him, he was curled up in the fetal position in the bottom of the ocean. And they just said it looked like he was sleeping. And they said people never drown like that. But it just said that he looked peaceful and he was all curled up like he was sleeping on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, it was probably trashed. Isn't that crazy? Just kind of curled up. Um, so he's actually one of the select few civilians that has actually received a military burial at sea. You know, which I think he would have enjoyed. And then... Manson, Mr. Piece of Shit, died in 2017 at the age of 83, and he died of cardiac arrest, but he actually had colon cancer as well. So he had gone to the hospital prior to dying and was actually bleeding um, throughout his uh, inside intestinally, which I'm glad about. So I hope he had a very painful passing. Um, <laughs> Don't get too emotional. <laughs> so I'm not even emotionally psychopath. So there's a song um, that was n that was never completed, I guess, um, off of um, Dennis's album Pacific Ocean Blue, and Taylor Hawkins actually, thirty years later, decided to finish it, and it's called Holy Man, and they remastered it, and I'm gonna try to find it because I didn't pick it up, but the year that it came out. Um, I don't think that's it. Um, it was voted number one reissued song of the year. Can you try to find that? It's called Holy Man. Holy Man by who? 
Yeah, well, Taylor Hawkins redid it, so I don't know how to find it. Sorry, guys, I didn't. Uh, by who though? Taylor Hawkins or what? Uh, yeah, look up Taylor Hawkins, but also look up maybe Beach Boys, Holy Man. Dead Air. What is Dead Air? I can find the Dennis Wilson version, and it looks like uh, it's featuring Taylor Hawkins. Yeah, that's it. Good job. How'd you find that? Oh. Another long intro. <laughs> okay, come on. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't realize it would be so long. Maybe it's instrumental. It's a cool song. Sorry, I didn't even listen to it before I talked about it. I had it written down here. It's okay. The intro was like literally two minutes long. Yes. It was it. <laughs> Bro, start singing. <laughs> he said that people said that he's kind of sounded like Dennis on that song too. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to leave you with our Beach Boys, Charles Manson, Topanga Canyon episode with a quote uh, by Dennis Wilson that's actually on the sleeve notes for the Beach Boys 1964 album All Summer Long. Dennis said, quote, they say I live a fast life. Maybe I just like a fast life. I wouldn't give it up for anything in the world. It won't last forever either, but the memories will. All right. There you go. We'll play you out with that Holy Man song without the intro. Well, no, we have to talk about our house. You literally just said. We're well, but we're going to wrap up the this part of the episode. Okay, okay. We, we have to talk about a house. Our Nana is going to freak out because okay. she is upset that we don't talk about houses. So you better pull up your house. I have my house right here. And I, Aiden, get it together. And then we're going to talk about, I have, should I, should I talk about the 10 signs you, you're probably in a cult first? Number one, the leader is the ultimate authority. Do you know anybody that's the ultimate authority of you? <laughs> President Trump. Ew. Uh-oh, don't start <laughs> Number two, the group suppresses skepticism. President Trump. <laughs> Number three, the group delegitimizes former members. President Oh, no, Trump. Aiden. Are we in a cult? The group is paranoid about the outside world. <laughs> I know. The group relies on shame cycles. Yep. Holy crap. The leader is above the law. <gasps> there you go Mueller the group uses thought reform methods the group is elitist mm -hmm. there is no financial transparency yeah the group performs secret rights that's we're yeah. all in a cult yeah Trump hi America in we're in a cult we're in a cult I'm yeah, sorry Nana you're in a cult yeah Nana get out of the cult 
Okay, uh, so what's the house that you found? I found a house, Topanga Canyon. Um, I think it's right off of, yeah, like the huge Topanga, Topanga Canyon Road or whatever. Topanga Canyon Boulevard? I guess so. It's on... It's or the two, one, huge Topanga Canyon Road? <laughs> 21415 Green Bluff Drive, Topanga, Can- Topanga Canyon. Three bedrooms, five bathrooms. Uh, 3,700 square feet for $3.2 million. Whoa. Wait, three bedrooms? Yep. For how much? 3.2. 3.2. Is it super nice inside? It's. Thanks for sending it to me, by the way. It's just... a little. Well, you never asked. So, <laughs> not my fault. Well, you've only been home for almost two days. We're fighting already. It's almost. It's a little hippy dippy, kind of. It's just weird. I picked it because it's weird. I wonder why people say hippy dippy. I say hippy dippy all the time, and I'm sure it's derogatory, but what does that even mean? I don't know. Hippy dippy? Interesting. Just, I think it literally just rhymes, probably. Oh. Okay, go ahead. But um, it's got like a stone entranceway with a bunch of these like weird, like things that you grow plants on and then they grow over. So you walk through plants basically. I don't know what you call those. Like a garden. <laughs> I guess I don't know. It's very stone, cool, like blue, weird stuff, and the inside's kind of blue, dippy. weird stuff. Mm-hmm. The doors are blue, and then there's like stone everywhere. Is it's it blue stone? Black. It's a very weird house. Um, and then there's at one point a super hot pink wall, not cool. So is um, it very artsy, art, very artistic? Artsy. There's literally a, if you look at this, there's a room that. Are there any animals in the picture? Place <gasps> Ooh, well, Aiden, you're just, tri- okay. So he's not describing it very well. Those yeah. walls are probably 12 feet high with a picture window, the size of the, the entire back wall that looks out onto the Canyon and a stone wall with beautiful trees and foliage everywhere. And then. The wall, far wall, is basically an artist wall where there is this amazing kind of ocean and horses, um, very colorful artwork, like a gallery on the back wall. Um, right. Yeah, it's very cool. It's just a, like a painting room, basically. Um, cool okay. bedrooms. It's got like really nice views and like pretty flowers everywhere. Beautiful. Um, and then I think eventually there let's, is a... Let's move to Topanga Canyon. There's a, it's got a nice pool with a view, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's got these like weird horse stables. And then like, I guess a place to ride horses, but you're like on a cliff. So it's kind of a weird place to yeah. have horses. So it's got a little bit of everything. Well, around there from what is a lot of like, a lot of cliffs, a lot of cool like twists and turns. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm only going to mention it briefly because I don't know too much about it, but I know that, you know, the how that corporation owned a lot of Topanga Canyon um, in the early 2000s there was kind of the last remaining um like hippie enclave area that had the low rent area were getting kicked out and they were fighting it there was like a big lawsuit so i don't know the ins and outs of it but uh, there was kind of like this last remaining 60s you know era um you know residents living there that unfortunately it sounds like they were kind of squeezed out so um you know, big corporation wins again, I guess. Mm-hmm. There are some cool houses, though, back up in Topanga Canyon, if you just look on Zillow or something, for pretty cheap. Yeah. Like a bunch of bedrooms, and they're all kind of, they're just cool. That's a good place for you, get, for you guys to take, like, a drive one day and kind of get yeah, out of... It looks, it looks pretty. Out of the city? Malibu at the base and all that good stuff. It's all right, cool. cool. Well, okay, now we know we're in a cult, mm-hmm. and we'll try to get out of the cult. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. We're we'll move to Topanga while. Canyon. We'll all have to live together because it's too expensive. So we'll have to start a commune. <laughs> well, let's just start it all up again. 
I think people just accidentally get into cults. That's what it sounds like. Uh, well, yeah, you get tricked. I guess, yeah. So there you go. That's why you have people that you hire to steal your children out of cults, and they kidnap them, and then you take them out. Uh, I'll try not to get into a cult. And I'm just going to put a, um, a, a mother message out there of anybody who's moving to L.A. who might be a teenager or easily influenced. Do not go to a Scientology party. That is a cult. Yep. And there are celebrities there, and they're in a cult. My friend went to Scientology place. Who? My roommate. Since you've been at school? Yeah. Where did he go? I literally already told you this. But you did? No, we're not going to go into detail because it's secretive. That's <laughs> the song I'm going to give you. Uh, what? Yeah. Is he? Oh, okay. I now remember. Right. I'm in Scientology, basically, is what I'm trying to oh, say. Oh, if you were in Scientology, I would yeah. put a plastic bag over your head right now, tie <laughs> it up. Kill me. I'd put a little breathing hole in there, and then yeah. I would drag you into a secluded place and re-brainwash well, you. it looks like I'm going to get murdered by my mom. <laughs> no, it's not murder. <laughs> That's in-house kidnapping. In-house kidnapping. And it's fine. Even worse. Yep. All right, guys. Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter. Yep. We got a bunch of followers last night because clearly Aiden is home and told me how to get followers. So yep. thanks. If you're it's new. It's not through your posts. It's through following 100,000 people on Instagram and then make some of them follow you back. That's the way to go. Thanks. I'm old and didn't know that. Right. Um. So subscribe rate review mm-hmm. give us a rating we need to bump up our like little like five star things so please do that if you are willing and able and i guess we're going to play you out with the longest intro song ever holy man here we go thank you for listening peace out